0: We'll start there and then we'll go over to the book of Titus. First Timothy chapter three, then we'll go over to the book of Titus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this family, for this church, for this house, for this people. Thank you for calling us to yourself to have a relationship with you. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus to give his life to redeem us, to save us from the penalty of our sins. And we thank you that he not only paid the price, he paid it once and for all. And we thank you Lord that You chose us to choose you. We are your adopted sons and daughters and we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose for us because Jesus came to give us life not only eternally but life abundantly. And until we go to be with you where our faith becomes sight, you've left us here to occupy and to represent you as ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation so help us god thank you for the holy spirit because we can't do this on our own live through us today may we submit to your power thank you for the ability to have corporate worship now lord to have teaching time give a good word to the congregation starting with me and we'll be so very careful to give you the praise for we ask it all in jesus name amen Well, based on the book of Titus, which we have been studying now for a couple of months, a good church has at least three characteristics. A good church is going to have good leaders. Secondly, a good church is going to have good teaching. And then thirdly, a good church is going to be about good works. And so we're in the first chapter of the book of Titus, and that is the focus on good leadership. Good Leaders. Uh, Hopefully in a couple of weeks in June, we'll begin the second chapter of Titus, which gets us into good teaching. And then in the middle of the summer, we'll be in chapter three, dealing with good works. Um, But the last couple of weeks, there's been a focus on some of the good leaders we have in our body. People who were able to get up a couple of weeks ago, the men were able to stand and testify under the leadership of Eric Merriweather, And uh, share about what it means to be called by God. That we all have a calling on our lives to do something specific for the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether we are businessmen or we're missionaries, it doesn't matter. We have a calling on our lives and uh, we want to represent him well and be obedient to the calling. So it was great to see the men stand up and proclaim how the Lord was working in their lives. And then last week on Mother's Day, so many wonderful women got up and shared... Under the leadership of my wife and was able to just talk about what it means to walk in grace and truth with dignity and poise as women of God. Wow, wow, wow. We have some great leaders in this church. And in a couple of weeks on uh, May 31st, we're going to have leadership in our student ministry be on display because they're going to lead us in worship. There'll be some testimonies that day because they're going to be fired up coming back from their student retreat that weekend, which starts on the 29th. And so on the 31st, um, our young people will lead us uh, in our worship service. So leadership, and I'm thankful for the leaders, whether they be men women, our students, and I can go down the hall and I can find leaders also in our children's ministry because the Bible does say that a child shall lead them. So praise God for the leaders in our body. Today, I want to focus on uh, the primary qualifications of an elder. We're going to get specific right now for the next two weeks and talk about elder leadership. So we're all leaders in the church, but there are people who are designated and called by God to lead the church, to serve the church. And so we're going to talk about elders. And what I want you to see today is that the primary qualification of an elder, a bishop, or a pastor is what we're going to see is being blameless. But first, let's get a review. What is an elder? What is an elder? An elder as far as in the local church, is a spiritually mature man who is called by God to lead the local church by shepherding the people of God and managing the resources of God. And so there's an organizational aspect, an organism aspect, um, a people aspect, as well as a property aspect of being a leader and elder in the local church. We've said in weeks past that the term elder, bishop, and pastor are interchangeable terms to speak of the one person in the office. And so those terms speak of different facets or descriptions of what that one man does. And at Strong Tower Bible Church, I am an elder. Uh, Tyler is an elder. Pastor Darrell is an elder. Pastor John is an elder. Uh, you can call me pastor, you can call me elder, you can call me bishop. Those are just interchangeable terms. But what we do here in our governance is that the pastors are those who make their living in the ministry. Uh, we call ourselves pastor and then the elders, the guys who make their living doing other things but yet serve their church, we call them elders. But technically an elder is a pastor and a pastor is an elder and on and on. So um, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Currently, Strong Tower has seven elders Um, And of those seven elders, there are three full-time pastors. Now, it is our prayer and our desire to add more elders and hopefully another pastor soon. But to qualify, you must be a member for at least one year, member of this church for at least one year, and you must have a desire to be an elder. So to be an elder, if we have men here because... Um, from within our midst, God is raising up men, not only to, uh, be leaders in the church, but to help lead the church. And we rotate guys off of the team and we rotate men onto the team. And so in this audience right now, are future elders, and it starts with you having a desire to want to do it really a sense of calling, An urging, a nudging from the Lord where he begins to say in your spirit, to speak to your heart, you should aspire towards that awesome responsibility of helping to lead the church. Now, no one feels qualified. You know, God never calls the qualified, but he qualifies everyone that he calls. There is enough grace for us. Um, And so this is not something someone should just aspire to because they want to be up front. Or they have other motives that are not right with the Lord. But truly, as we'll see here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, there is a desire uh, where God begins to work in you to want what he wants for you. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, that word can be translated as overseer. Comes from a Greek word episkopos, which means to see over. It has been translated in the uh, English scriptures as bishop. So, if a man desires the position of a bishop, which can also be elder or pastor, he desires a good work. So, two times in First Timothy chapter three, verse one, you see this word desire. Two different Greek words, but they literally mean a man that has this insatiable urge to be an elder, to be a pastor, to be a bishop, that God begins to work in that man. And I don't know, again, any guy who serves in this role, whether it's a pastor or an elder, who just woke up one day saying, yeah, that's what I want to do. Usually it's something that they sense God is doing and they even go through a period of resistance because they don't feel up to the task, to the calling. So you have to have this desire working, but you also have to have the character to support the desire or the calling. You have to have the character. So look at verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3, and it says, a bishop then must be blameless. So there's the calling, there's this desire, this stirring from God, but then there also has to be the character, the lifestyle that matches and coincides with the desire. So now let's turn over to Titus chapter 1, our book of study as a church. Titus chapter 1 now. Timothy was a young pastor that was overseeing the area in Ephesus, and Paul was writing him, teaching him how to conduct things in the embryonic church in the first century. So now Titus is on the island of Crete. And he too has the responsibility of bringing order to this body of believers called the church. So on the one island, there was one church, but the church met in different cities on the island, met in different homes and households on the island. There weren't buildings back then for the church. People met in the square They met in their homes or they met uh, outdoors. It was a body, a living thing, but it also needed order in these early stages of the first century. And so we see here in Titus chapter one, verse five, Paul says to his young apprentice, he says, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Verse 6, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So we see in this passage, and as we read the Bible, when we see things repeated, that tells us we need to emphasize what the original writer Or or what the writer emphasized. And Paul is emphasizing out of all of these qualities, all of these traits, we see blameless being repeated. So when we see something repeated in the Bible, we want to stop and pause. And we want to emphasize what the writer emphasized. And Paul was emphasizing the character trait of being blameless. So therefore, I want to call this message today simply blameless. Blameless. Part One blameless part one, because being blameless is the foremost quality of being an elder, of being a bishop, of being a pastor, all other qualities like the ones we just read in these verses and the ones that mirror Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. All of those qualities, they flow out of being blameless. So being blameless is the overarching quality of a pastor, of an elder, of a bishop, or an overseer. Um, An elder is to be blameless in his marriage, in his parenting, in his attitude, in his actions, in his doctrine and in his ministry. So when you read all of these different things that are spoken of, it can be broken up into those categories as far as this person's marriage, parenting, attitude, actions, doctrine, and ministry. And we'll unpack each one of those next Sunday. But today we're focusing on that primary uh, call, that primary uh, quality, which is being blameless. So what does being blameless means if it's being emphasized in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1, two times? Well, this word blameless is a Greek word Because the Bible was originally, the New Testament was written in Koine, or common Greek, and it was translated into other languages. So in order for us who speak and read English to get a a better grasp of what may have been going on in the first century, we have to go back and look at the Greek, or look at Hebrew, and all of that stuff. And where it's appropriate, I like to share with you. I don't do this stuff to try to make you think I'm deep, but uh, the brother is a little deep, but I just let you know. And that it comes from a Greek word, aneklatos. That's what the word blameless is in Titus chapter 1. A, a, a deviation or a derivative of this word is used in 1 Timothy 3. It's a little different, but they have the same basic meaning. And that is to be blameless means to not be accused or called in. That which cannot be called out or called to account cannot bring charges against being above reproach ah. so this word this combination it speaks of you can't call this person out or call them in um, and as I was thinking about this in the back observing worship for some reason I started thinking about when I was in school and uh, when, when we were riding in the church today Chase and I were talking about how some of the funnest times in school Is the last week of school, and how you know the work is done. So you're just chilling, you know. People are having they having parties in classes, but it was always. A calming thing that when they were doing roundups, when the principal was calling in students who had been guilty of vandalism and graffiti and destroying bathrooms and all that stuff, when they were doing those last minute roundups and maybe even holding diplomas until certain things were taken care of, it was good not to be called in for stuff like that. It was good not to be called out on stuff like that because that was for other people. Or maybe some of us were just so slick that when we did our dirt, we just did not get caught. I don't want to witness, but I know I got one in here. And so, <laughs> but it's good that when they start calling names, they're not calling your name. And so that's the idea. You, you have been blameless. You're above reproach in a particular area or with your lifestyle. So, if someone is calling out liars, your name will not be mentioned. If someone is calling out thieves and they're naming people who steal or lie on their taxes, your name, because you're blameless, will not be called. If someone is calling out cheaters, you know, people who mess with the pressure in a football, your name <laughs> will not be called or named. Amongst cheaters if someone begins to gossip about gossipers your name because you're blameless will not be in that category of people because that is not uh, becoming of you that is not who you are you are not a gossip so you are above reproach you're not being called in or called out with that particular sin or uh, if someone is calling out abusers They're not speaking about you. If someone's calling out fornicators or adulterers or people with deviant behavior, again, your name is not being named in that group because you've been blameless in that area. If someone is calling out heretics and people who hold to faulty doctrine, your name is not in that number. Or if someone is calling out gluttons or drunkards, your name is not in that. You're not being called in or called out. You're blameless. But here's what we also need to know, especially as it pertains to gluttons and drunkards. You may get accused, even as Jesus was, of being a drunkard and a glutton because he spent time with people who drank. And he may have even drank alcohol himself, but he surely was not a drunkard. We know that he ate and he enjoyed fellowship, table fellowship, but he was not a glutton. And so you can be accused of being things that you are not. And so the thing about when you're blameless is that the charges won't stick because of how you live your life. And that doesn't mean that they still won't twist the charges to get you crucified. But you know in your heart that you are a blameless person by the grace of God. A one-word definition of blameless would be the word integrity. Integrity. And as I was praying about this message and putting it together, we don't see a lot of integrity in church leadership today like we used to, or at least like we even expected, even lovingly demanded of our leaders. Um, we, We have so accepted a lower standard of, of of integrity in our leaders. And I'll speak to that in a moment. Integrity is when your walk matches your talk. Integrity is morally is, is morality combined with consistency. Let me say that again. It is morality combined with consistency. When you have integrity you are a consistent moral person and you walk what you talk those who don't walk what they talk are hypocrites hypocrites are play actors that's what the word means where you put on a mask and you want people to think that you are something that you really and technically are not but one with integrity takes off the mask because what they are is who they are and they're real because of God and so they're not after pleasing men or trying to impress men which is usually the motivation of a hypocrite, their first desire is to please and honor the Lord. And they live for him because they love him. They live for him because they love how he loves them. And so they're transformed by love, and they have an audience of one, and he is already pleased with them, and so there's no need to try to perform to earn favor. We just receive the favor that he has so graciously lavished upon us, and out of that, we live a free life. And as we'll see in a moment, that doesn't mean perfection. But integrity is telling the truth when you're tempted to lie. People with integrity tell the truth. And the beautiful thing about telling the truth is that you never have to remember what you said. But when you tell lies, you've got to remember what you said so that you can cover the lies that you've told. People with integrity tell the truth. They keep their word. Even when it hurts, the Bible says, you keep your word. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you be there. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This double-mindedness is not of God, it's of the enemy, the Bible says. So a person of integrity keeps his or her word. And that may even mean that they're going to be on time. Things When you have integrity, you are a timely person because you recognize that time is important to other people. So when they set a time, they want you to keep the time. So you show up on time and you show up ready, whether that's to work or to church, because we know we'll show up on time for other things. So, man, how come we can't be on time? It's an integrity issue. Having integrity is being the same person in private that you are in public. So that if you roll up on a public figure in their home, you just knock on the door unawares, what you see is what you get. It's not two different people, it's one person. My God, that's integrity. Integrity is having financial integrity. That's what, it, or, or financial competence. Um, I'll just break it down real quick for our church, because if anyone is going to be an elder and we have elders future elders seated here we have an expectation that we place on them that we believe is consistent with being blameless and that is you pay your bills on time that that's integrity that you budget your resources and you manage your home well and that you tithe at the church that you serve because how can we have people hebrews 13 Imitate our faith if we don't have faith and obedience in God as it pertains to the finances. And I don't want an elder counting money or an elder determining how money should be spent if he does not invest money into the church himself. Once again, that is a hypocrite. So if you can't agree... To give obediently, cheerfully, regularly, and in proportion to your income, you're still a spiritual infant and you're not ready to lead the church. You don't lead in the church. That, that, that's an elementary principle. But it's still something we got to talk about because some people think some things don't apply to them because they got special situations. No, you don't have a special situation. You've been called, like all of us, to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ and not make excuses. So that's what an elder is. You don't make excuses, man. You make changes. You do what you got to do. You man up. That's why you are a leader. (laughs) Being someone who has integrity is you are kind to all kinds of people and not just people you can benefit from. A person with integrity talks to people in the airport who, you know, pick up the bags and, and check your bags and you, you treat them with integrity. You treat them with care and honor. You just don't wait to do that in the boardroom with someone you think you can get something from. No, you're kind to the people who drive the car to get you to the boardroom. You're kind to people in hotels and where when a camera is not on and, and people aren't around. You're, you're nice to people because what you are in public is the same way that you are in private. So there's a consistency about you. Because no one will be able to put a charge against you that you play favorites with people. Mm, mm, mm. You act responsibly on social media when you have integrity. Everything is not meant to be posted on social media. People are losing their jobs, their marriages, because uh, they don't have the wisdom to know, you fool, don't you put that out there on social media. I mean, we love you, but we don't need to know all your business or see all of your business. So exercise some wisdom and some restraint. That speaks of having integrity. Integrity is handing your phone or your computer to your spouse without clearing it first. (laughs) Woo! ain't that good. You don't have to clear it first. You don't have to get surprised when someone walks into your office unannounced and... You have integrity. You have moral consistency because you love God and you fear him and you keep his commandments. And so although man is not watching, we know God is always present. And again, we live before an audience of one and he loves us and he is pleased with us. So when you have integrity, you return things that you borrow You'll lend somebody something then have to like borrow it back from them and they're trying to put stipulations on your stuff that you lent to them six months ago. Man, this is my stuff. Or if you borrow chairs from the church that say Strong Tower Bible Church on them. You return them after the barbecue or the reunion. We don't want to come over there a year later and still see STBC at your crib. <laughs> Integrity. We had a gentleman when we uh, rented at the factory. And so we would have people come in and they would lease the room that we were leasing. They would sublease from us. And so we put different people over this ministry, but we come to find out that The person that we put over the ministry was robbing the church as they were serving the people. And they were taking money and things and even equipment that didn't belong to them. Because the thing about sin is that it will always find you out. And so when you have integrity, those things don't even come into question with you. And when you have integrity, here's one that hurts. You will drive the speed limit. Oh, my God. For some of us. When we got saved, we're still waiting on that foot to get saved. Everything got converted and redeemed, but that foot, that foot. When you got baptized, your foot was up in the air. You didn't even want to put it under the water, you know. But one day I was with uh, one of our former elders, Elder Sherman. And and he has, you know, always has had nice cars. And we're driving around town, and I'm getting irritated. I'm getting irked. Because he was driving so slow. And I thought he was driving slow because he had a Mercedes, you know. And you know, when you have a Mercedes, you kind of just go around the corner real smooth and stuff, you know. And I'm like, man, I'm irritated. Will you speed up? So one day I said something to him. He said, no, Pastor, man, that that says 55. I'm driving 55. And so then, uh, being a rationalist, you know they give you five over, you know they give (laughs) you. Integrity, oh boy. Integrity means that you're not always looking for a hookup. You know, you pay for things and you pay for a price. But why is it that Christians are always trying to get something for free? Sometimes we get blessed, but don't look to get something free every time because then when they see you, uh oh, here comes, let me see, let me help this person out. How about you be the one that gives and not always the one that receives? I don't care how much money you make or whatever, you can be a giver and not just a receiver. It speaks of your integrity. Having integrity means that when you're in the store and they give you too much change, you go back in and give them the overage that they gave you. (laughs) I must confess, since I have the microphone, I haven't always been consistent in that department. Because if they fool around and give me too much money, I'll start justifying why I should keep that money. Man, last time I was in here, they jipped me on this product or this and that. So all that starts spinning in my mind. And I'm like, man, maybe the Lord knew. See, we put it on the Lord. Maybe the Lord knew I needed this extra $5. We're about to lose our whole testimony for $5. Matter of fact, there was a preacher who went into Walmart on a Monday. And he went in and bought a few items and things and checking out and the guy ends up giving him too much money. And so as the pastor looks at it, he's like, man, you, you gave me too much money. So he gives the guy back, you know, the 10 bucks too much that was given to him. And the uh, cashier said, wow, th- this really doesn't happen a whole lot. And, and he said, you know what, preacher? Um, I'm glad you gave me that money because I was in your church yesterday when you were talking about honesty, so I gave you extra money to see if you really practiced what you preached. That was not me for the illustration. That was just something I read somewhere, you know. But it's good to have integrity. And I do give money back when people give me too much. So as I mentioned, integrity, it's a one-word definition for blameless. Because when you have integrity, you will have honorable entertainment choices. You will respect authority. And when you have failed in every one of these instances, integrity can admit mistakes. Integrity can admit failure. Integrity repents. Integrity is sorrowful. Integrity wants to make things right that it made wrong, that our character made wrong. So when we have integrity, we have this moral consistency. So I'm here to say that character and not giftedness is supposed to be the primary trait that qualifies a man to be an elder. We're too quick to put a guy in leadership because he can preach well, but his integrity is jacked up and... His lifestyle, but but oh, he can sure preach or sing. and so we look past the character because we're enamored with the giftedness. or if someone has a lot of knowledge, Bible knowledge or worldly knowledge, they, they, they know a lot, but they live little. That doesn't qualify a person to be an elder because you have knowledge or because you are a good businessman. Operating a business does not necessarily qualify you to serve in the local church. But too often we grab business people and wealthy people without really taking them through the ringer of testing their, their character. We assume that if they're successful over there, they'll be successful over here. Or if they're popular, or if they're related to the pastor, then they automatically qualify to be an elder No, 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 no. So why is character so important for elders? It's important because we set either a standard of excellence or a standard of sloppiness in the church. Either we set a standard of godliness or a standard of compromise in the church. And so if you go to a church where the leadership is committed to godly living, there's a standard and an environment in the church that doesn't put up with carnality. You know, the Bible says that a little leaven can leaven the lump and Paul said to the Corinthian church, get rid of the leaven. And even when the leaven or the sin, the impurity is in leadership, 1 Timothy 5 says, because we are leaders, we are under stricter judgment, James chapter 3. So 1 Timothy 5, bring witnesses with charges against an elder or a pastor, legitimate things, not preferences, Personal stuff, you don't like them. But stuff where it's like, man, he missed the mark in this area. He offended. He said something. He did something wrong. The Bible says to protect this office, make sure you have two or three witnesses, not just one person who can say whatever they want, but two or three people who can attest to something in the life, some sort of sinful pattern or behavior to confront the the pastor, the elder, or the bishop. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, and if these charges are true, when you rebuke the leader in front of everyone, then you expect that leader to say, Lord God, I am sorry. People, I am sorry. Because this is a place, it's a serious position here. You, you just don't put it off in the back if something public is going on with a leader. You know, if a pastor's name is smeared across the news and, and there's questions about his sexuality with children or with women or men or whatever, you just don't deal with it in private and he still keeps preaching. If the charges are legitimate, it must be dealt with publicly. Why? Because it sets a precedence to say that the pastor is not above being rebuked. Because if the pastor can get dealt with, anyone can get dealt with. And so a standard of holiness should spread through the church because it says, man, even the pastor is accountable. So that's what being a leader is. We take it on the chin. We admit when we've uh, failed. And that's what's the difference between David and Saul. Saul could not admit where he failed. It was all about saving face for him. But David, once he was confronted and once he could hear the rebuke, he repented. Now, there were consequences But man, he proved that he was a man after God's own heart by how he repented. So character is important because if there's compromise in the leadership, there will be compromise in the followership. If there's compromise in the pulpit, there will be compromise in the pew. But if there's a commitment to honor God with lifestyle, with lip service and life, man, that thing also transcends into the congregation because leaders set the standard. And for the record, just so you don't get off the hook, all Christians, and not just the elders, are expected to live blameless lives. Some people say, oh man, that's for preachers. Hold on. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, one of several passages in the Bible. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. We're all to be blameless. We're all to live above reproach. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3, when speaking of fornication, it says, don't let that sin be named among you. And so we all have a responsibility. Why? Because we all have a relationship with Jesus and we're to reflect him in this culture. So you just can't live sloppy and then say, you need to go see my pastor. No, you be salt. You be like, it is Your responsibility as well as your calling. We cannot become blameless by being aimless. You have to be intentional to have integrity. Amen. Well, Pastor, um, being blameless doesn't mean being perfect, does it? Of course not. The Bible is very clear. We will never arrive at perfection in this life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 and on. But we're to press towards the mark. Of the upward call we have in Christ Jesus. The Bible even says we're to aim for perfection. You aim for it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Well, when I miss the mark, I thank God that I have a perfect one who stood in for me. Who made up the mark for me. Who kept the law for me and who died for a lawbreaker like me. But yet Jesus still sets the bar high. And I think too often we turn grace into Greece. And we just get so used to being mediocre, not having excellence, not pursuing godliness and having integrity. We just are so casual that sometimes it makes people wonder if we're truly Christian. But there should be an urgency about us in terms of godliness and holiness. And the Bible says, Jesus says, you shall be perfect. All right, let's make it real. How many of you aim for perfection when you take a test? I want to get 100 on this. You're aiming for it. <laughs> you're kind of a trifling student if you go and saying, man, I'm just, if I get a good 60 on this, I'm all right. <laughs> no, man, when you study it and this is important to you, you want to get a 100 on You're aiming for perfection. Or when you're cooking and you're measuring everything to the T, you're aiming for perfection. Because you want to put in enough baking soda, enough vanilla extract. You want to put in the right things because you're aiming for the perfect cake or the perfect omelet or whatever. Because you're striving for that. Why? Because God put it in you to want to have that kind of excellence. We do the same thing when we work out. Man, I want to have a perfect workout today. I don't want to cut corners. On the treadmill. I don't want to cut corners in the weight room. Man, I want a perfect. Now you will probably fall short. Because there's a human element in all of us. Where, mm, But man, there's something in me. I'm aiming for it at least. I'm going to stay on this thing for six minutes non-stop. You're aiming for it. You just don't start off saying, well, I might do a minute or two. or You know. We aim for it in sports. I don't know anyone who plays sports who says, you know what? I really don't want to make this free throw. You're trying to make it. You're aiming for perfection. You want to break the tackle. You want to score the touchdown. You want to play a perfect game. You don't go into golf saying, you know what, I know I'm going to miss a whole lot today. You're trying to make every putt that you're putting. You're trying to get a hole in one. So why is it when it comes to the things of God, we just accept mediocrity and sloppiness? God doesn't deserve my best. Uh, You know, I'll get there when I get there. Lord, you know, I'm struggling with this. You know, been struggling with it for 10 years. Isn't his grace enough to transform you? Because he doesn't want anything conquering you. He doesn't want anything having power over you. He wants to deliver all of us from besetting sins. Yes, we're in process, but man, I'm pressing while I'm in process. Because some people say, you know, being blameless, oh man. (sighs) But ask God to show you. You know, when I get on an airplane, I don't want the pilot saying, you know what, uh, I hope to get to the destination. <laughs> yeah. No, you want him aiming for perfection. <laughs> when Dr. Ravos operated on his ear, I didn't want the brother coming and saying, you know what, I had a rough day today, man. I, I'm going to do my best up in there, you know, hey, no, man, you better do this right. Aim for perfection up in there. You in my head, dog. Does not the Lord require that of us? I want to preach the perfect sermon. It will never be perfect, but I want to. So I'm studying, I'm working. I want to be the perfect husband. I want to be the perfect dad. At least I'm aiming for it. So in conclusion, A man's character is the primary thing that qualifies him to be an elder. It's your character, man. To be blameless means that you can't be called out on charges which prove to be true. To be blameless, you can't be aimless. You must be intentional to have integrity. In 1948, a 31-year-old evangelist out of Youth for Christ by the name of Billy Graham was rising on the scene and his popularity was continuing to blossom and grow with every crusade and revival that he conducted. And he had a team of three other men with him and they saw something special, unusual. The hand of God was on them and they knew this back in 1948. So this group of four men, George Beverly Shea, Grady Wilson, Cliff Barrows, and Billy Graham met together in a hotel room in Modesto, California. And in this room, because they saw God at work, and they saw their frailties and limitations as mere men, but they saw the hand of God on their efforts, they decided to make a compact together, a commitment of intentionality to godliness. And this compact was called the Modesto Manifesto. And this is the thing that has kept Billy Graham above reproach. All these years, as he is in his waning days, this commitment made in a hotel room said that they would avoid financial mismanagement. So off the back, they said, we're not going to fall like other ministries. We're going to manage these resources well. We're going to avoid criticizing local ministers. So when they go into other areas, they're not going to talk against, speak against the pastors and the ministers there. They also, in this manifesto, said that they would avoid doing ministry without local churches. So they would be connected with the local church. They wouldn't think that they were above or apart from the local church. They understood how God works through the local church. So although they were doing great evangelism, and God was allowing people to come by the hundreds and the thousands, they didn't see themselves as above the church. They understood kingdom principles, and they had to work with the church even submitting to churches. Oh, we needed more of that today. They also said they would avoid exaggerating crowd sizes. And they would use specific means to to determine crowd sizes so that they wouldn't exaggerate to try to make themselves look better. If 2,000 people were at an event, they wouldn't go and tell people 4,000 people were there. And then finally, and probably one of the main things was that They all agreed to avoid sexual impropriety, meaning that they said we will never, ever be alone with a woman who is not our wife. And So that's why all these years Billy Graham has been beloved because of his integrity. You can disagree with somebody's theology and even their you know, position of being a Christian or whatever. But man, when you look at their lifestyle, there's something about it that causes you to respect them. And if they can respect your lifestyle, what that does is it makes the one you represent more believable and beautiful. But when your lifestyle is raggedy and shoddy, it makes Jesus look bad. And people want to talk about the minister more than they talk about Jesus because the minister has become a distraction because of his lifestyle. But when a minister is able to walk in humble boldness, humble righteousness, walk in progressive sanctification and integrity, pointing to Christ as the reason for life change, past, present and ongoing, makes people attractive. People don't want to live like they're living. And they want to look at you to see, man, I know your feet are made of clay and you're a man. But man, there's something about you that I see there's a divine purpose about you. That's all of us who have a relationship with God. And so integrity in the leadership. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. I'm going to pray for the church. Then we'll take the offering. Everything rises and falls on leadership. That's why he starts the book of Titus focusing on good leadership. Not good teaching. Not even good works. Integrity. Character. So I'm going to ask that the Lord would continue to watch over and deliver from the evil one and even from our own susceptibility in our flesh the leaders, the elders who lead this church. Lord, would you keep us from falling? Would you continue to strengthen us and give us a heart to do the right thing? Not because people are watching or because we have some kind of ritualistic, legalistic set of rules. No, we want to do the right thing because of our intimacy with you. So I'm going to ask that the Lord would continue to strengthen the leaders here and that we would be pure personally as well as corporately. But then I'm going to ask God to, keep speaking to men in this body who may start feeling a nudge man I don't really feel like I can do it but something in me is saying I want to be an elder I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit so that when I or one of the other brothers approach you hopefully you can say I knew you were going to come and talk to me about the possibility of being an elder at the church because we just want to bear witness on what God is already doing Now, let me make a note here. Every man who qualifies to be an elder is not supposed to be an elder. Hear that. Because we don't want to try to make it seem like the elders are up here and everybody else is down there. No, we're all ascribing to godliness. And all of our sharp men can't serve on the elder team. But we need sharp men and women to serve in every facet of this church. So although you may not be an elder, that doesn't mean you don't qualify by your lifestyle to be one. You know, when I was growing up in church, as soon as the guy started showing any desire for God, oh, you going to be a preacher? I said, no, I don't want to be a preacher. Hold on. I just want to be a godly man. Mm-hmm. So hear that, brothers. But then we're also going to pray um, for people who may want to join the church and for anyone that like to ask Jesus Christ to be their savior. So I'm going to do this quickly. But let's all bow and pray. Father, thank you for this tune-up. Even more next week. As we look at our lives, in the mirror of the word and we recognize lord that you have called us to live up to what we have attained to not accept mediocrity and moral compromise you've called all of us especially elders to set the tempo of character but it's born out of our relationship with you i pray for all of us there's no need to ask for hands today because we're all convicted about areas, Lord, that we know you're working on with us. Our tongues, our eyes, our attitude, our minds, our hands, our feet, whatever. We know. So thank you that in love today, you reminded us that you're still calling us up and calling us on to grow, to be free. So Lord, help us to not just be convicted in the moment, but help us to leave here With the commitment to say Lord. I'm so tired of grieving and quenching your spirit. Let's one day at a time get this thing together. So would you help me Lord. I know you're there to help me. Help me to work with you as you're working in me. Keep changing my attitude. And if there's a man in this body or men in this body. You say Lord I sense a calling. To be considered as an elder in this church Lord speak to these brothers may they be attentive next week as we talk a little bit more about some specifics but I thank you for how you stir us and lead us to do things we never thought we could do or would do and Lord God I pray for anyone in this church right now who's listening who says you know what it's time for me to join a church even this church it's time it's time for me to make that commitment to be specific and if you haven't been in a new members class but you want to if you want to find out what it means to be a member of this church that it's time while we're all praying for you can you just raise your hand so I can see that this church, you want to look into this church to make it official. Just raise your hand so I can see it. I won't call you for it like the old baptist used to do. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? Let's make it official. Yes, I see that hand. I should go Baptist on y'all. Call you down. No, I won't do that to you. We'll do that next week. But most importantly, is there somebody here who says, "Man, I, I need Jesus." I know I need Jesus. Pastor Chris, would you pray for me that I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ that he would save my soul? If you know you're lost and you want to be found, would you just raise your hand so I can see it? You want Jesus. You want me to pray with you that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I see that hand amen and where you are the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved so to the gentleman who raised his hand from your heart to God's heart say Jesus save me I believe in you Lord now I want to know you for myself I turn from living life my way and I come to you Jesus thank you Jesus for saving my life father thank you for this time to assemble oh it's good to be in your house now would you bless this offering and the remainder of our day in Jesus name amen Amen. Amen. Did I do all right? Because I couldn't really hear. Was it all right? Y'all can be seated momentarily. Be seated.